I invite your attention to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, going back to our study through this uh, wonderful book. While you're turning there, maybe I'll just make a note on Janessa. Um, since, it's, since the doctors advise it's a six to nine month process, and there's going to be a lot of little steps along the way, we thought maybe the easiest way to keep everyone informed that would like to be informed, we started a Caring Bridge page, if you're familiar with that. Uh, don't Google it right now, please. <laughs> but just jot caringbridge.org. And if you just type in Janessa Weaver, uh, her story will come up. And that's what we plan to keep updated. The primary prayer request right now is for when she gets her Broviac central line installed tomorrow, that just the bleeding disorder does not create complications for that. So just pray that that is very uh, a smooth process. She'll be in probably two days uh, for that. Philippians chapter 1. It's been a little while since we were in the books. I think the last message that I shared was Father's Day, so we took a little break from Philippians. So uh, if you're like me, I, you pick up where you left off, maybe sometimes a day ago you need, where was I? So I probably will do just a real short bit of review at the beginning of every message so we can uh, maybe frame in our minds uh, a few things. The book of Philippians is a book on joy and rejoicing. That's the theme. Joy and rejoicing. And the sub-theme, if you will, is your mind, the way you think. The two are very closely connected. You won't be a joyful person if, with wrong thought process. And you will be an unjoyful person if you have wrong thoughtful processes. So outlining the book of Philippians, thanks to Warren Wearsby, he did it well that resonated with me. Chapter 1, the single mind. Chapter 1, the single mind. The theme verse being what we talked about in our last message. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. A single mind on the gospel. It doesn't matter if I live or die. It's all about Jesus. The single mind is chapter one. Chapter two is going to be the submissive mind with the, with the theme verse being, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. The th chapter three is going to be the spiritual mind. The theme verse is many, I tell you, even weeping, they mind earthly things. And chapter four is the secure mind. And the theme verse is, be anxious for nothing. So in every one of those uh, mindsets, single mind, the opposition is going to be circumstances. I tell you, circumstances are going to try to sabotage your mind from being single. Submissive mind, unfortunately, the, the area where we will tend to not be submissive is our relationships with people. That's going to be chapter 2. Chapter 3, of course, the spiritual mind is going to be things. And chapter 4, the secure mind, the antidote or the opposition is, going, is, is worry. So we've been talking about the single mind. But apart from the introduction, which was the first message, we've been talking about the single mind for me to live as Christ. And in chapter 1, under the single mind, this is the third message. The first one was the fellowship of the gospel. And that was found in verse 5. Fellowship in the gospel. 
we looked at five points that you will have, or five keys to joy, when you have the single mind on Christ for the gospel, you will have fellowship in the gospel, and then you'll experience the recollection, the remembrance part, the intercession, the participation, the anticipation, and the affection for other believers. You'll experience that. The last message was the furtherance of the gospel. And by the way, the fellowship of the gospel, that kind of relates to us as sons of God. We're sons of God. We, we experience fellowship in the gospel. When we further the gospel, that kind of highlights us as servants of God. Sons of God and servants of God furthering the gospel. We looked at Paul's chains, Paul's critics, and Paul's crisis. And we will have chains, we will have critics, and we will have uh, crisis in our, in, our, in our lives when we are furthering the gospel. So when you have a single mind that is on the gospel and the Lord, you will experience fellowship, and you also understand that your circumstances are always, always God-given opportunities to further the gospel. And Paul's our perfect example. He's in prison. Philippi didn't think he should be in prison. They must have been lamenting about it. In the last message, we clearly noted in the, the text that Paul's saying, it's okay. I am here and the gospel is being furthered. So when we have fellowship in the gospel, all circumstances, we will realize that God is giving these for, for uh, opportunities to further the gospel. So it's best if we learn not to complain about circumstances, but see what is God doing in this? How is God going to be glorified in what I'm going through right now? And I know that's a tough place to, that's a tough, tough area to always flesh out. For me to live is Christ. So finally, in chapter 1, still under the single mind, we're going to look at one more message, and it is only four verses. I thought about going into chapter 2, but I thought, nope, chapter 2 is so good and so glorious. I want to just start fresh on, on chapter 2 with the, the uh, submissive mind, having the mind of Christ. So, with that introduction and review, I'm going to read verses 27 through 30. And I would like you to be looking for the three points. We're going to look at three points in this message. And the title is Striving Together for the Faith of the Gospel. That's the long, the long uh, title. Striving Together for the Faith of the Gospel. The short title is The Faith of the Gospel. So... Fellowship of the gospel, furtherance of the gospel, faith of the gospel. Please be looking for three points in this text. Number one, if you're going to fight or strive for the gospel, you will need consistency. Secondly, you will need cooperation. You will need to be very cooperative. And third, you will need to be confident. And that's the, the three points that I'd like to highlight from this beautiful text, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you 
Stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing, terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. But unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. So I'm going to stop there and we're going to just look at these four verses it's not a real big bite. The theme is a call to fight together. A call to fight. You guys want to fight? You ever hear somebody say that? You want to fight? My prayer is that this message would enable our thinking to fight. And unfortunately, when we think, you want to fight? You think of two guys going at it. But we will, we're saying together, in unison, we're saying, you want to fight? And we're saying that to the opposition of the gospel in any way, shape, or form it comes. And the gospel's under attack like never before. And my prayer, my passionate prayer to God in preparing this message is that we would rally together in unison and say, you want to fight? And we're going to fight. We're going to fight together. Brothers, sisters, there's an urgency to fight. Uh, Andrew, I really appreciated your, the way you handled the tech, the, the, your study on Wednesday night. And he did a very thorough job of inductive Bible study. Uh, observation, uh, the, the, the part that I often miss in, in, in inductive Bible study is correlation. And what, what do the other scriptures say about it? Observe it, you interpret it. Correlations, what do other scriptures say about it? That's, that's a very key part of Bible study. Otherwise, you'll take the, you, can run, you can basically say, make the Bible say anything you want to. I've seen this so many times. You can make the Bible say whatever you want if you don't use correlation. And so the, 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 the preface to the call to fight, I, I just want to uh, read Jude. I don't, you, you don't need to turn there. Jude is an excellent correlation to what I believe Philippians, Paul is telling the church in Philippi. Jude writes and he says, in verse 3 says, basically, in my words, I wanted to write just a common salvation story. He said, but, in verse 3, it was needful for me to write and exhort you that you should earnestly contend, that means fight, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Jude's saying, I just wanted to write about salvation, but it just pressed on me so hard that I need to write that you need to contend and fight for the faith which was once delivered. And it seems to me that his point was there's a gospel starting way back in Jude's day that is turning the grace of God highlighting grace 
And I, I think we've maybe swerved to the other ditch sometimes. Uh, we need to understand grace. But the grace of God is never, ever uh, to promote uh, careless, lasciviousness, lawless lifestyle. It cannot do that. And I really believe that is an area where the gospel is under attack. So correlation, Jude is saying, earnestly contend for the faith. I thought of Timothy in, in chapter 1 and verse 11. He says, he's writing to Timothy, and he says, I thank God, I'm not putting it right in context, but in my, paraphrasing it in my words, I thank God that he enabled me or called me into the ministry. And then he says something like this. He says, there is a glorious gospel glorious gospel that was committed to my trust. That, that just struck me. I, a glorious gospel that God said, Timothy, here it is. Handle it well. Handle it right. And then at the very last part of 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, now Timothy, be faithful with what is entrusted to you. It's kind of like Paul saying, here I got it. And God said, be jealous with it. And then Paul says, I'm giving it to you, Timothy, and be very careful with it. And then in that context, Paul says, Timothy, I want you to know that uh, it's not many will depart from the faith. Some have erred. No, it says, like, it says it like this. Some have made a profession in the faith, but have erred from it. So he says, be very, very jealous how you handle it. So there's something about the gospel that we want to be very, very jealous and I just like to, real, real personal, in, in some way, shape, or form, you can see yourself in that link. I, I'd like to ask who taught this, the primary class. I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna, I'd love to ask to stand up. Who taught the, the intermediate class? And who taught the adult? Get all the teachers. And then, do, do we realize, and Sunday school superintendents, in a sense, the charge is given to you. You find people that are willing, and it's, it's an important, it's a very, very crucial thing to hand that responsibility. Now take those 30 minutes and teach the gospel. And if we do that well, brothers, sisters, we'll be able to stand up. You want to fight? Because we're equipped and prepared. But we spend our weeks on material things and worldly things, and just as a fill-in thing, uh, just kind of a side note to life, we will meet an opposition that we can't stand up against because there's only one way, only one way we're going to stand up together, to fight, and that's with being equipped, our feet shod with what? The preparation of the gospel. So I just want to encourage and also exhort everyone that has any responsibility Fathers, you go home and you lead out in your public uh, family devotions. And I want you to know that, that God's saying, I, I gave those children to you or even uh, your wife. And you got the responsibility of the gospel. Now, don't blow it. Be very, that, that should be an overarching concern of every one of us. To be very jealous over the gospel. So it's like a precious gift that's handed down, earnestly contending for the faith. And I think we would all wear that, that uh, the gospel is under attack. The gospel, uh, the, the, the watered-down version of the gospel is producing a very ungodly, unchristlike uh, attitude that 
that I believe the opposition will almost scoff at. So the gospel is such a beautiful story. Uh, the gospel is really simple, and I think that's important to remember. Don't ever allow the gospel to intimidate you. Uh, that you can't, that you can't accurately uh, portray it. The gospel is really simple. It's really on uh, childlike. Uh, I think you can you you can share the gospel in such a childlike spirit, and even childlike terms. It's so simple. We we all sin and come short of the glory of God, and in responding to that, God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus. And he died for our sins. He was buried. He was set in a tomb, a sepulcher that was well guarded. And you know what happened? The third day, it just blew open. And he rose again. He was triumphant. That's, That's the gospel. And that's what God did. So God simply takes that story and goes like this to man. There it is. Do you want it? And all you and all me and I and anyone in the world has to do is reach out and respond to that story. And and a miracle happens inside of us. It's called salvation. But I believe where the gospel is under attack is that that story is an end in itself, but that story is only a means to the end that we are saved, what? From sin. We're not saved in our sin to continue in sin that grace may abound, but we are saved from sin, not in sin, And we are uh, transformed day by day into the very likeness of Jesus. Does that mean you never sin? No way. But if any man does sin, not intentionally, we have an advocate with the Father, the Lord Jesus, who's right there. So the gospel will always produce a lifestyle that is... is, uh, Full of good works, if you might say. And I know people get a little gun-shy about works. I, just for the, uh, not fun of it, I was, I was just studying the word. And I thought, how many times good works shows up in the Bible? And I was amazed. It was like 16 times. Good works is in the New Testament. And the classic one is Jesus says, let your light shine that they may see your good works. And they'll never, the world won't see your good works and say, oh, wow, what a man. They'll glory. You show me a Christian that's all about the gospel with a single mind. Those that see it are going to glorify the Father, which is in in heaven. So, fight the good fight of faith. In the latter times, we know that some will depart from the faith. (coughs) And that was the call to the battle. You want to fight? Is our uh, theme in unison. One of my favorite songs is, Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I will bear the toil. I will endure the pain supported by your word. Maybe it's so special to me is because I could see my dad walking down the barn just singing that at the top of his lungs and probably was way, way off tune, but it was from a heart of passion. Consistency. And these points will be simple. Number one, Consistency. The call to fight, it says, only let your conversation be as it cometh the gospel. If I'm gone, or if I come, I just want, I want to hear of your affairs. In other words, Paul says, I just, I just want to hear that you're living right. In other words, that, that the gospel has affected your lifestyle. 
And this is kind of a political term, if I understand it right. Again, I, don't, I can't pronounce the Greek word for conversation, but it has to do with politics. It has to do with a certain party. And I don't know if you remember in the introduction, we uh, kind of spent a little bit of time talking about Rome being a colony. That's addressed in the scripture clearly. And the Philippians understood that word well, the Greek word that I can't pronounce, because it, the Philippians were kind of, uh, in Philippi, you walked, you, want, you walked all around Philippi, and it was Greek culture. You step inside Philippi, and all of a sudden it was, uh, the, it was Roman. The culture, the language, they spoke Latin, not Greek. Language, currency, customs, government, everything looked Roman. And they were proud of it. So Paul uses that, uh, especially in chapter 3, I think it is. But here's another time that it's noted that they understood it well. So be, be consistent. Did you, ever, did you ever see an employee or a, somebody representing a cause that's bigger than that one person that gave a very bad image of, of the cause bigger than them? I forget how it happened. A couple uh, months ago, uh, one of our neighbors invited us to be part of, a, I guess it's a blog. I don't know. It's a neighborhood network. It's kind of interesting. You know, hey, Mike, everybody see my cat? Things like that. And it's kind of neat. And often the theme is, is uh, I need a tree trimmer. Recommend a tree trimmer. Uh, who does good landscaping? Who does the, just kind of a neighborhood network thing? Last week... Somebody put one on, caught my attention, and it said, beware of a certain local company. And then he, then he went on a ramp. You know like ramps are, like reviews, you hear about 10 positive, and then you have this one blowout negative one. But what really caught my attention is some, for some reason, one person really marred the what I would perceive as a very reputable company. And that's, that's business. I wonder how Jesus feels about his cause and the reputation that you and that I portray for his cause. Is there ever a time where the opposition says, beware of the Christian? And Christian's a very broad term. We are a church family within the, within the Christian church. And we have values, core values that we believe from scripture. And I just think it's so important that there's consistency let your conduct or conversation just be all about the gospel. There was a Christian that had a neighbor that was starting to believe in false, uh, false gospel. And this person got all concerned and upset, went right to their pastor and said, what do we do? Do we have, do you guys, what, what literature could you give? I, I need literature, literature to give. To, they don't go the way of the false gospel. The, the wise pastor said, the best literature you'll ever give your neighbor is your conduct. 
And then he opened up his Bible to, uh, to uh, 2 Corinthians 3, where it says, You are our epistle, written on our hearts, known or seen and read of all men. We know this is anonymous. I don't know. I couldn't find the author. We are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds you do and the words that you say. Men, read what you write, whether faithful or true, just what is the gospel according to you? So the greatest weapon against the, against the devil and our opposition is a godly life. And a local church that behaves what it believes is going to defeat the enemy. James said it so well. Faith without works is dead. Being alone, yea. A man say that, he ha that thou hast faith, and I have works, I'll show you my faith by my works. To fight the fight of faith of the gospel, brothers, you got to be consistent. You got to live out on Monday what you've said on Sunday and believe on. You, we got to be faithful in an accurate picture. And if I go to the other side of the world where I'll probably meet nobody that I know. How I conduct myself when nobody's watching who I, is really who I am. To fight the faith, you, a fight of faith, you must be consistent. Secondly, uh, cooperation. So we need to be consistent. We have to be a cooperate person. And this comes, this is a title, it says, that you may stand fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So the, the word here that I'd like to highlight is another Greek word. A little blurb here for Greek scholars. Uh, your Bible knowledge will be enhanced as if you study uh, root words and what it all means. But the, the, the Greek word here is son athleo. Don't mean much to me. But I learned this. Son is a prefix, okay? We know what prefixes are. In the English language, the prefix co means together. You do an operation, you do it co, it's cooperation. In the Greek, the, uh, the prefix son has the idea of doing it together. The word athleo, what does that mean? Uh, I think there's a couple athletes here, right? Couple guys that could do things well on the athletic field. That's the root word. Where we get our word athlete is from this Greek word. When the Bible says stand together or strive together, it's the word son athleo. So it's, uh, it's, he's basically using an illustration from the athletics, if you can say it like that, because we're uh, borrowing the word or getting our word athlete. And I really think that we see some of the best pictures of cooperation in athletes. Is that fair to say? Athletes are incredible. Sometimes I cannot understand, comprehend, what a group of people that spend their whole life for one cause that they can, what they can accomplish. It is incredible. Uh, another, I mean, whether you go to football, uh, Basketball, hockey, those are probably the three sports that really require a network of, of teamwork. It has been said that if only God's people 
could perform like the athletes and the soldiers. And, and, and the soldiers are another one. It is amazing. I still can't get out, out of my mind. Brother Harry Argo up here. Remember him? He, he opened up the first night. I didn't know about who this guy was. And he stood up there and he told the story about when he went into, into a military camp. Remember what he said? He stood there like this and he, Mr. Argo, drop your bags. And his illustration was the military pretty much strips you of any individuality or personality that you might have, and they just assimilate you into a cause, and they do it mentally. And so I'm using athletes and soldiers for this word, to illustrate this word of cooperation. I've often wondered what Jesus, Jesus meant when he said, the children of this world are wiser than the children of light. Did that, did that ever bother you? You come to that verse, the children of this world are in their generation, it says, wiser than the children of light. And I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't unlock that, but I think what it means, I think the illusion is you look at the athlete in his generation, it's so short. Look at the soldier. Look at the, the people that, the children of this world. They're wiser. I guess all I'm going to say is, let's cooperate. Let's work together. You know, in, in my study, I read about a basketball team. I don't think I have any document of who it was or where it was. Or, but they had this, the, the, there's this basketball team that had a star player, 30-point every-game player. I guess that's good. Is that good? 30 points? Yeah, not bad. How many you get? 20? So 30 points every game, consistent. But the team figured out they could never win when he played. They benched the star, they got more points. The team concluded that he was a, a glory hound. In other words, it, it, was, it was his show, one man show. I wonder if that's what John wrote about Diotrephes, 3 John chapter 2, it says Diotrephes, eh, no good. He loves to have the preeminence. I guess in this point of cooperation, let's allow examples of athletes and soldiers. I don't think we should invest our time studying them, watching them, I, it's, it's not going to benefit us. But I think Paul often used them as an example, and I think it would be okay for me to just stop a little bit and consider what they do and what they go through. And I don't think a church should ever operate like the army, and I don't think a church should ever operate in, in light of... Uh, can you imagine an athlete not being at practice? Can you imagine a soldier saying, nah, uh... What do they call it? Dr drilling. Dr dr I'll show up at the drill for the drill if I if I'm if I'm into it. But I think we could learn something from the way they're disciplined. And I think the difference between church and athlete is voluntary. Voluntary. I'm just I'm in. I'm just in it. I was reading us as. 
you know, even when you study, you often get bunny trails. And I was reading about soldiers. And I, saw, I was reading soldiers' testimonies. What can I learn from the soldiers? One soldier wrote this. He said, it is impossible to explain the camaraderie when you are in a trench together with a couple other men fighting for the same cause and everybody's against you. Or the opposition is against you and trying to kill you. It is impossible to explain the camaraderie. Very, very interesting. And sometimes we read uh, uh, snippets of, of soldiers who would not leave a wounded companion. And, and they jeopardize their own safety, but their, their companion, their, their, com their comrade was injured. And they would put themselves through tremendous uh, danger just to, just to stand by. And I don't know about you. I praise God for camaraderie. There are times where the attack is so hard and we need, we need each other. And I'm thankful that when I feel an attack and I hope that when you feel an attack, somehow, in some way, some shape, some form, you can you know, fight together. Keep in mind that in Philippi, if you go to chapter 4, there was two women that weren't getting along. He's going to address that. I think he's giving all the general, general uh, ideas, and then he's going to come to the close, and he's going to say, and here, I beseech you, Iodius and Syntyche. So there were two women that were polarizing the Philippian church, and that's the way the enemy's strategy always works, to divide. A house divided cannot stand. One more word under this point that I just learned in this study, and it's the word phalanx. Anybody ever hear that word? Phalanx. All right, got one? New one for me. Another one? It's a, it's a military strategy, I guess. And it often goes back to Macedon, the Macedonian phalanx. And remember in the introduction, we talked about Alexander the Great and his, uh, his accomplishments. The, the, the battle strategy of phalanx is accredited to the Macedonians, especially Alexander the Great. And it's simply this. It's a very close formation of soldiers. I think if I have it right, the, the shields, the, one, the shield that I'm holding is that big that it actually covers part of the vitals of the, my person right next to me. And what th this strategy is what the opposition simply could not stand against. Close formation. Uh, Marching forward, you just simply could not stop them or penetrate them. One fell, the next one is right there, almost without losing a step or a beat. And so the illusion was given here that that's the picture of the church. Phalanx, together, so close together that my, my shield is important to my brother right next to me. I like it. Thirdly, lastly, confidence. If you're going to fight, if, you, if, if we're going to together stand up, and by the way, if we don't stand up and say, you want to fight? We're, we're going to lose the battle. It's, it's going to be a battle. It's going to be a good fight of faith, or it's going to be a loss. You won't get there coasting 
Must I be carried to the skies in flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? You won't get there without a fight. You won't do it. Fight the good fight of faith. So if we're going to stand up to the enemy and say, you want to fight? We're going to have to be confident. And it says, in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Wow. Never be scared. When I was in Grenada, 1997, spring or early part of 1997, we decided we're going to have a crusade in Labore. Kind of the first uh, pioneer advance. A lot of little stuff before that. Day one of invitation. I still remember it. Going down a gap and there comes a dog. And I needed an education on how to deal with dogs. And a dog came out and I really believe that it was bigger than physical. I think there was something behind the scenes that God was going to try to teach me. And this dog, I just thought the best, my best approach is get out of there. And I did. And that dog was successful in drawing blood as I fled. My friend in Larry says, no, never, don't ever do that. Here's what you do. You reach down and you pick up a stone and you look at that dog right like this. And that dog will always leave. It worked. I think I could almost say I'd go up against almost any dog. There might, there might have been a few exceptions. But as a, as a rule, the dog senses fear. And when the dog senses fear, you're toast. I really believe the devil's a lot like a dog. And I think sometimes we don't understand what we've got. Maybe it's, a little, maybe it's time for us to be a little more like David. Go down to the brook and get the five stones in the slingshot, the sword of the spirit, prayer, Ephesians 6 stones. Don't, we, we cannot be scared. We cannot be intimidated. And sometimes I, I, I'm, I, I struggle in this part of the time in history. It does seem like evil men are waxing worse and worse. It does seem that the gospel is under such attack. It does seem like sometimes you feel like, I'm tired of fighting on that issue. I'm, here's what I believe so strongly, but you know what I'm saying? I just think we need to stand up and... Tony said something in Sunday school that was really good. It's got it, to be grounded in Scripture. It's not just standing up and fighting for my, my opinion or my idea, but, but it's a cause that's bigger than us, and that's where we have this fighting mentality. Don't be, don't be scared. You must be confident. And by the way, if I understand the, this, what this verse says is that in verse 28, if we stand up and fight against the enemy together, standing fast in one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and whatever, come, and whatever comes against us is going to prove two things. Number one, perdition to the opposition. That sounds so self-righteous, doesn't it? But I think when you are a single-minded soldier for Christ, it's not about you, it's about Christ, and you're standing in with a humble, broken spirit for Christ, and there is, there's opposition towards you. I, I think it says, if I understand the text right, it says two things, evident token of perdition to those that are fighting, and second, it's your salvation. I read John Wesley. He's a favorite of mine, and I'm uh, in his biography, or in his diary, one day he wrote, 
he writes, that he was riding along. And he, he was, by the way, a, a, a man that was on the front line preaching horseback all over Britain and, in, and Ireland and finally into the Americas. One day he's riding along and opposition is such a part of his life, he stops. Don't know him. Three days, no opposition. What? Gets off his horse, kneels, says, God, three days, no opposition. Did I sin? Is something wrong? Is everything okay, God? If show me if there's something wrong. Somebody walks along, heard him praying. What is, grabs a half brick, throws it at him, hits him. God, thank you. That confirms your presence. And he gets back on his horse and, 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 and uh, goes about his, his day. Uh, it's kind of a humorous story, but I wonder, I really do. All they that live godly and in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus shall suffer some form of persecution. It may not be half bricks, but it may be your stand, your stand on values. Well, it's a privilege to believe and it's a privilege to suffer. And there's another nugget in there. Sometimes we think of suffering as a hard thing, but in verse 29, if I understand it right, that is telling us that it is a privilege and it's a gift. Actually, the word is grace. The Greek word is grace. It's a grace that's given to you, number one, to believe, and number two, to suffer. And then the last verse is Paul's basically saying, you saw it in me when I was at Philippi, and now you can hear it of what I'm going through in Rome. And that concludes chapter one. The single mind brings joy. How do you think, my brother, my sister? How do I think? Do I think like a son? Fellowship? Do I think as a servant? Further the gospel? And do I think as a soldier? Fight. And I th I'm convinced, I don't just think, I know. We band together with that kind of a mindset. You're going to walk into this assembly and you're going to see joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And opposition, opposition cannot, cannot I'm talking about opposition to the gospel. It cannot flourish when you have a single mind for Christ. But this, the, the challenge is, oh, to be consistent, oh, to be cooperative, and oh, to be confident. So I would invite you to really examine yourself. Application, is there one area in your life that God could... God would have the liberty to say, Jim, you are not confident in this area. Jim, you are not cooperating. There is too many times where your shield does not cover the person beside you. Jim, your conduct is not consistent. I invite you with me to get on our face before God and say, God, search me. And he will. He loves when we're honest. And then together, we can band together against the enemy, not against people, against the enemy. You want to fight? Let's stand for a closing prayer.
Lord God, you showed us in your word that it is a battle. And those that battle faithfully to the end are going to wear the crown. Thank you for the blessing it is to be part of the fellowship of the gospel and to further the gospel and, and the call to stand together with one mind and one spirit to fight for the faith of the gospel. Show, it what, show that to us specifically what it means. And God, be merciful in our personal inventory. Be specific. Please take away that general cloud of condemnation that the devil wants to put over us. And please be specific in our search to be search of our own personal lives so we can be good soldiers. And bless each one of us, Lord, as we go from here and make that beautiful phalanx for the cause of your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we ask it. Amen.